So we hit this morning on a very deep temptation that faces the church today, and that is the temptation to resist those outside the church, the temptation to hold a cold heart toward outsiders that really rests on the church even more than it did 10 and 20 years ago, but has always been there because as sinners and as humans, our hearts are bent toward hatred for those who are not like us. Well, the Lord zeroes in on that this morning and guards us against a coldness toward outsiders to warm our hearts toward them this morning through the story that takes place in Genesis chapter 21. We go back to the book of Genesis this morning. It has been almost a year and a half since we opened the book of Genesis together. We left off right at a monumental story where the promised son of Isaac is born. We did that, believe it or not, when we were outside a year and a half ago, which feels more like a decade ago because so much has happened between now and then. And so because of that, I'm going to reacquaint you with some of the stories that were going on there as they uh, kind of unfold a little further in this story that we're going to read today. We are there in the midst of the life of Abraham and nearing the end of the life of Abraham even. Abraham is a man who was like any other living in uh, one of the great cities of the day. But what makes him different is that the Lord called him out of those people and out of that city to a different place where he would live his life as a traveler and a sojourner. Uh, And he would be the recipient of great promises that God gave to him. Several incredible promises. One of them that even though he and his wife were both beyond an age where they would ever hope to have a child and God had given them no children, uh, God promised him he was going to be the father of many nations, that one day many of the nations of earth would call him father. Uh, And so much of the story is spent awaiting, well, how is that going to happen if he has no children? Another great promise is that one of those nations that would come from him would be God's special nation, the people of God, the nation of God would even come from one of the nations that would come from him. Uh, That nation, we would later learn, the people of Israel, would be given a certain very prime piece of land to dwell in, the place we now call Israel. Then it was called Canaan, a really wonderful piece of land in the Middle East that God would give to them as an inheritance. Abraham goes through much of his life waiting to receive these promises, and God just keeps delaying and almost testing his patience to see if they will come true. And many of the adventures and misadventures that happen along the way revolve around this question of, is God actually going to keep this promise? And do Abraham and his wife Sarah actually trust him to keep this promise? One of those misadventures unfolds like this. They travel to Egypt, and uh, I won't get in too deep into the story, but they're in a very threatening situation, and Abraham handles it very poorly with very little faith in God, and really just handles the whole thing terribly. But comes out on top anyway, because God protects him. He winds up leaving Egypt. Uh, The Pharaoh gives him much gold, many livestock, and many male and female servants. Uh, Probably among them was a woman named Hagar, who becomes a big figure in this story we're about to read. Hagar was a slave in Egypt. Uh, Now she is Abraham and Sarah's servant. And along the way, this promised baby that's supposed to come and bear all these nations still hasn't come, and so they start to get a little impatient. And Sarah gets this really terrible idea and says to Abraham, hey, why don't you take my servant Hagar as a wife 
and bear a child with her as your second wife, and then I can raise that child. And much to everyone's horror, Abraham agrees to this. And so he takes Hagar as a wife. Uh, In the crudest sense, the plan works, and she gets pregnant and is going to bear a son. Uh, But the scriptures say the one that sows injustice will reap calamity. And because he does this in a very unjust way, of course, it breeds all kinds of family drama. By the end of it, Sarah has abused Hagar so terribly that Hagar escapes and runs out into the desert, uh, knowing that she will probably die there. Uh, The Lord meets her there and says, I hear your cries, Hagar. You're pregnant and you're going to bear a son. And I want you to name him Ishmael, which means God hears because I've heard your cry. And I'm going to make this boy a great nation also. And so she goes back confident that God will protect her in this compromised situation. And that brings us to today. Uh, At this point, the promised son Isaac has also been born. And there is great rejoicing. Now Sarah has given birth to a son and Hagar has a son also. And you think everything is going to be well. It is Isaac, the chosen son's third birthday. He is being weaned and they're having a great feast for him. So you think all should be well, but the one who sows injustice reaps calamity and there is trouble in paradise. And so today we read about the family drama that unfolds because of all the mishaps they've had before and how God uses this situation to to show that his heart toward those who are not his people is warm and is generous. Let's read Genesis 21 together. We'll start at verse 9 and we'll read all the way to verse 21. And the child grew and was weaned, that's Isaac, Sarah's son. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne Abraham, laughing. And she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of a slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of a child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with a bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. The Lord. 
Through that story, the Lord shows his deep warmth toward those who are not his people, and he guards his people against a coldness toward outsiders. He does this in the stark contrast between Sarah's attitude towards Ishmael and the Lord's attitude toward Ishmael in the story. My prayers for you guys work like this through this sermon. If you are here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you would say you are outside this church and outside the church altogether. You'd say, yeah, when it comes to that, I'm not one of them. I'm an outsider. Uh, This story and this sermon will be a little bit unique for you because they are about you and about people like you and the warm and generous heart that God has for you. And so my prayer for you is that you would see how open the Lord's hand is for you how much he desires for you to become one of his people and that perhaps seeing his warmth towards you would move you to come and uh, be one of his. If you're here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, I pray the Lord will show you how warm his heart was for you even when you were in rebellion against him perhaps long ago and that he would even move you toward a great warmth toward those outside the people of God today. Uh, we've been through the backstory, and that brings us all the way up to the birth of Isaac, this chosen son. And I told you there was trouble brewing in paradise. Uh, indeed, there was. It is uh, probably Isaac's third birthday. Usually children in that day were weaned at about three years old. Many children did not make it to three years old. And so there was often a big party. It's time to wean the child, and he has made it this far. We'll celebrate. Here we are at this wonderful feast, but all is not well, right? Sarah sees Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the other woman, uh, laughing, which may sound innocent. Uh, But laughter is actually a big theme in Genesis. Different people laugh in different ways. And Isaac's name means he laughs, for Sarah laughed with delight when he was born. She said, everyone who sees this will laugh over me with delight. However, the way that this word laughter is constructed in the original leans not toward delighted laughter, but toward mockery and hostility. And so Ishmael, in this case, is at his little brother's big party, and he is mocking and acting hostile toward his little brother. This angers Sarah greatly, and she begins to play the role of the evil and possessive stepmother, right? She sees him laughing and says, no, 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 no. My boy laughs. He laughs, right? That's his name. You don't get to do that. You definitely don't get to laugh at him. And so she goes to Abraham and says to him, get rid of that slave woman and her son, for her son will never be heir with my son Isaac. You can feel the coldness in her wicked stepmother rising up words, right? Like mother bear's claws are coming out here. And so Abraham naturally is very displeased. Here he is at his son's weaning feast, right? Just should be one of the greatest days of his life, like a wedding or a big party or on Christmas day. But he is miserable because of this family drama that is going on. Uh, The whole thing would make a great HBO special, right? Lots of riches there, but family drama ruining the whole thing. So he is upset. And in verses 12 and 13, the Lord speaks to Abraham, reminds him of some of the promises that have been made in the past, and essentially says, I will look out for them. You can send them away. The healing I will bring to this broken situation you have created is, I will look out for them myself. 
And so in verse 14, Abraham gives them ample supplies and sends them out into the desert. Uh, the wilderness of Beersheba is rather small, and she should have been able to make it across with the supplies that he gives her. But with this word, sending them away, uh, that is the Hebrew word for divorce. And so he is ending their relationship. The whole broken second wife slave marriage thing that he never should have gotten into, at God's guidance, he is ending that and ending all of his responsibility to her and simultaneously freeing her. So she is now free and no longer a slave as she is sent out. We'll pause the story there and just consider some of the great themes. Uh, the big contrast here is that Sarah's heart towards Ishmael is very cold, as you can read in her words, while the Lord's heart toward is Ishmael is very warm. And that's where we see the points today of what is God's heart toward those who are outside of his people and outside of his kingdom, and what we'll find is it is very warm toward outsiders. A lot of this comes to a head in the Lord's words in verses 12 and 13. Now, remember some of the promises that have been made so far. The Lord has promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, right? So one day, several nations on the map are going to look to him as father and come from his lineage. One of those nations, one offspring, not many, will become the people of God. So lots of nations one of those nations becomes the people of God and gets to dwell in Canaan. So you have this situation where all of his offspring are very blessed and one of them is actually going to become God's chosen people. There are also promises to Ishmael. His name means God hears, and so the Lord is promising that he will hear this boy when he cries out later on. Uh, Ishmael is told he will become a great nation. And also, he's told that he will become, I'll quote, a wild donkey of a man. And you can play with that language if you want to. He will become rather an instigator in his uh, family relationships, settling over and against his kinsmen. Well, a lot of this comes true in the story. Even at an early age, Ishmael is mocking Isaac. He's becoming an instigator. You might even say a wild donkey of a little boy mocking his little brother at his feast. And now in verses 12 and 13, the Lord clarifies all of these promises. Let me read to you, starting at halfway through verse 12. He says, For through Isaac shall your offspring be named first. So this means that Isaac, the son of Sarah, is indeed that special one from whom the people of God will come. Right? So in that, he is saying, Isaac is my people, and Ishmael indeed is not. He's clarifying that there. But then in verse 13, I will make a nation of Ishmael also, because he is one of your offspring. Right? So we have first clarity that Isaac is the chosen one. The people of God will come from Isaac. So in the starkest terms, Isaac is part of the people of God, and Ishmael is not. He is clarifying there. But nevertheless, he says, I'm going to make a great nation of this little boy. My heart's warm toward this boy. I'm going to keep my promises to him, and I will hear his cries when he cries out. So from that, from his heart toward one that even the Lord would clarify is not one of my people, he says, he shows us how very warm his heart is toward those who are human beings made in his image, who he loves dearly, yet are not part of his people and don't have a stake in the work of Jesus Christ. So the idea here is Ishmael is not one of God's people. 
And he's hostile toward God's people, right? He's mocking Isaac at his feast. Yet the Lord's heart is very warm to him in contrast with Sarah's heart that is very cold to him. In that, we get three little windows into God's heart toward those who today are not part of the people of God, but are made in his image. Three ways that his heart is warm toward outsiders, even today. The first one is that he is overwhelmingly generous, even to outsiders. This is the Lord's heart and how he is toward them. We see this in the way the Lord says, I'm still going to make a great nation out of Ishmael. And later in the story, a part we haven't got to, it says the Lord was with the boy, right? Still near to him, still helps him very much. He did not have to promise any of these things to Ishmael, but he did out of grace and generosity. And we see there a warm, open hand and a generous heart, even to those that aren't his own. The full teaching of the Bible here is that the Lord is generous to every human being he makes and even every living thing he makes and is especially generous and warm toward his people. So he does have a special love and a special generosity for the church. But that doesn't mean he isn't also very warm and very generous to everyone. Uh, This is something like those of you that both love dogs and have a dog, you you were like this toward dogs, right? Many of you are this way. You can be walking down the street and, and a stranger can come by with a friendly dog that runs right up to you and you're just on your knees. Who's a good boy, right? Come here, come. You just love that thing, right? Total stranger's dog. You don't even know what its name is, but you just have a warm heart toward dogs. Then you go home to your dog and it's an even more special thing, right? That one's your dog and your heart's especially warm towards it. Well, in that way, if you're that way, or if you know someone who is that way, you're a little bit like the Lord whose heart is warm, generous, and open toward all mankind, and especially warm and loving toward his people. Just like being warm toward every dog and especially toward your dog. This is why the the word of God can say in Psalm 33, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, right? He's watching out for those who fear him and are his people. And yet at the same time, Psalm 65 can talk about the abundant generosity it has for the whole world, right? You visit the whole earth and water. You make it overflow with goodness and provide for people in your, fat, your, your paths. It says drip with fatness really for everybody. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says that the Lord causes the sun to rise on the good and on the evil, right? And he causes the rain to fall on the just and on the unjust, right? So you don't have to be one of God's people to have the rains come through the Midwest and fall on your garden and have the sun shine on your garden and have it produced so generously and abundantly and to be able to go out there and pick produce and eat it, that's not a benefit that's exclusive to the people of God. Everybody gets that because the Lord is generous and provides for everybody. If you ever want a really visible picture of this, uh, just walk into a Kroger and look at all of the wonderful foods and things that many, many people in Greenwood can buy. Uh, I was there uh, about two weeks ago, and they had prime rib on sale for $8 a pound. Like, anybody who had $4 could buy a meal's worth of just about the best meat that you can buy, take it home, put it in the oven, and cook it and eat it. 
And the amazing thing that we're kind of getting at here is that that was not a blessing that was exclusive to Christians, right? You didn't have to show your church membership card to get that deal, right? That was for everybody. The Lord just gave abundance through these animals, through all the provision, through the truckers and the supermarket and all of this to give generously to all kinds of people. This is true of the person who bought prime rib at that sale took it home and had a Christmas feast in the name of the Lord Jesus and prayed reverent prayers to him. And it is just as true for the person who bought some of that prime rib, went home, put it in the oven, and got on their atheist message board and just ripped into Christians while it was cooking. Both of them, when it was over with, got to eat the prime rib. Why is that? Well, because the Lord is generous toward everybody, even toward outsiders. That's his heart toward those who are not his people. It is open and it is generous, even to those that mock him. Now, I hope you can see the contrast between that and the words that Sarah has toward Ishmael, right? Get rid of that slave woman and her son, right? That heart that is cold and embittered toward this one. And her reasoning is, her son will never be heir with my son, The interesting thing there is that the Lord actually agrees with her in principle, right? He tells Abraham, it's through Isaac your offspring is named, right? Your heir is Isaac. Sarah is factually correct, but her heart towards Ishmael is wrong and is in contrast with the Lord's. Through that, the Lord is guarding us against the bent that is in all of us to be hostile and cold toward those who are outside the kingdom of God, especially those who are hostile towards Christians, those who would mock Christians, or those who seem to be out for us. Oftentimes, we can look at their thinking and find real fault in it, right? And oftentimes, we are factually correct, But oftentimes our hearts, like Sarah's, are cold toward them and in the wrong place. You see this often now in cries like, they're ruining our country, right? Do you hear that one, right? And there's no warmth or openness. There's no desire to see them come in and find better truth. It's just a hostility, right? They're hostile toward us, and so we're going to be hostile right back to them. This means then that the Lord is calling us to look at even outsiders that are hostile towards us and have not an enmity in return to them, but a warmth and an openness toward them. Even as we can see right through their arguments sometimes, even as we may be factually correct, maybe some of them are ruining our country, even if we've got the facts straight, the heart must be warm and open in how we deal with them. Why? Because that's how the Lord's heart is toward them as well, and he shows us that in his dealings with Ishmael. That means that if you were just at Christmas dinner with a family member or a friend who is hostile towards your faith, and some of you put up with that over the Christmas dinner table, you have to make sure that your heart does not become like Sarah's, hostile and cold in return to whoever that might have been, but maintain a warm and loving heart toward them. This is all coming to a head right now in Canada. Some of you have followed this news story. Uh, There's a a law that was recently passed, I think with good intentions on the part of some, but hostile intentions on the part of others, 
that criminalizes what's called conversion therapy, which is uh, a wrong-headed attempt to take people who have same-sex desires and move their desires to be different, right? Attempt to kind of get in there and bend their heart the right direction, which does not work, has damaged a lot of people, and is, and is rightly condemned. However, the law was worded in a deceptive way that essentially criminalizes almost every Christian preacher in Canada, even going as far as to say that preaching against certain lifestyles is wrong and now illegal in Canada. Uh, very clearly done by those that have a hostile intent toward the church and could erupt with bad things depending on how the Lord moves the situation in Canada. That means that right now there are a lot of pastors and a lot of Christians in Canada who must endure that temptation to see that hostility and return it with hostility of their own. But instead, like the Lord, must maintain a warmth against outsiders, even while there is hostility toward them from many outsiders. Many of us have a different or smaller form of that same temptation as well. Temptation to, when they're hostile toward us, to return it back to them. And this is especially true if you have let either social media or cable news disciple you over the last 10 or 20 years. Uh, it's no secret by now that so, both social media and cable news are teaching us to act with hostility toward those who disagree with us. They've been doing this for one, two, in some cases, even three decades. Uh, and that means a few things when we deal with people who think differently from us. First, many of them have been taught to be hostile toward us, and so we're going to encounter more hostility than we did before. Secondly, it means that many of them have endured more hostility from other people because other people in their lives have been trained to be hostile toward people who think differently. And then thirdly, many of us have been taught and discipled by these other forms of media to act with hostility toward them, and we must resist that temptation ourselves. Uh, that means for some of us, we need to very intentionally let the Word of God and the church disciple us more than we let cable news and social media disciple us. We need to consider very deeply how are these things forming our hearts. And if it's sending our inclinations the wrong direction, there may be certain media sources we need to just completely work out of our lives. And actually, as I've talked to some of you, some of you have already made that decision and worked certain TV channels and other things fully out of your life so that you can live more righteously before God. Uh, we have to be careful about who's discipling us and who is teaching us to be hostile toward people who do not think like us. So that is our first point. God is abundantly generous toward outsiders, and he calls his people to have the same heart toward outsiders, even when they're hostile toward us like Ishmael was. Second point about God's heart toward outsiders is that he keeps his promises to them. Now, the greatest of all God's promises comes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anybody who would come to Jesus pleading for forgiveness can receive it in the name of Jesus Christ and become a child of God again. That's the greatest of the promises. But there are other promises, too, that are not exclusive to those who come to him. There are some promises God makes to all humanity, whether you are willing to come to him or not. And the Lord is faithful to keep those promises, even to those who are outside of the church. We see this in the way the Lord keeps his promises to Ishmael, even though Ishmael is very clearly not a part of the people of God. He had promised again that Ishmael would become a great nation. That's repeated here. He had promised that he would hear Ishmael's cries, and that is repeated here. He actually does hear Ishmael's cries. 
And he had promised that Ishmael would become an instigator, a wild donkey of a man that would settle over and against his kinsmen. And even that begins here. The Lord keeps his promises to everyone that he makes them to, not just to his people. This is true of those outside the church today. Now, they may not have the gospel promise, though it's available to them, but there are other promises God makes to them, and those God makes good on. I'll give you two of them. Our dominion over the earth and over animals is humanity. That's a promise made to all mankind. And then second, the promise that the Lord's ways and wisdom are good, and anyone who listens to them can live a better life by hearing biblical principles. So first, the Lord has promised dominion over the earth to all humanity, right? In Genesis 1, he gives that to all humanity. And then he gets a little deeper with it in Genesis 9 toward Noah, and he says, all your descendants, uh, other creatures, other animals, are going to fear you and dread you. And this is why when you go into the woods and see a deer, though the deer is faster than you and in some ways stronger than you, it's scared of you, so it runs the other way. Uh, This is why animals that have the capability of killing us often don't do so, and we can get dominion over them. Uh, That's why when you go to the zoo, the gorilla is stronger than all of us and could kill all of us if it wants to. But the gorilla's in the cage, and the zookeeper has the key, right? Not the other way around. Why is it not the other way around? Well, because of the promise the Lord made to Adam and to Noah, the the fear and the dread of them will be upon everyone, uh, sorry, the fear and dread of you will be upon every one of these creatures. God is keeping this promise, whether that zookeeper with the key to the gorilla cage loves the Lord or rails against the Lord, the Lord keeps that promise to them. Uh, We see another promise come true in that the first few chapters of the Proverbs especially focus on If you would listen to these teachings in the book of Proverbs, they would benefit your life. They'd give you long life, wealth, a generally better life for anyone who's willing to open up the Proverbs, read them, and do what they say. This is grounded, it says, in the fear of the Lord and in a reverence and a sense that God's word is good and real and he's worth listening to. But someone who does not have faith in Jesus can still open up the book read a few Proverbs, say, nah, I don't like that one, I don't like that one, ooh, that one I like, learn something, and live a better life in result. Uh, that, that promise is good for people inside the kingdom and outside of the kingdom. That explains for us a strange phenomenon that we see in the suburbs. Uh, have you ever seen churches that sometimes blossom very large, uh, not really on full biblical teaching, not on the hard stuff in the Bible, not on talking about sin and judgment and all the difficult things, but just giving biblical principles for marriage and fighting anxiety and all the things that we need to live a better life. Uh, Some of us call this self-help church, right? Uh, It's possible to just open up to the self-help parts of the Bible, preach those, show people how how to live a good life, and the crazy thing is, it works. Right? P- people can go to these churches, learn how to live a good life, not have faith in the gospel of Jesus, not be called to genuine discipleship of Jesus Christ, but they would say in honesty, yeah, I learned some things there that helped my marriage. Right? Yeah, I learned some things that helped me conquer my anxiety. Why do those select biblical teachings work for them? Well, it's because the Lord's promises are good to everybody. His ways are good if you come and listen to them 
whether you do so with faith in the gospel of Jesus or not. In other words, it is possible to hijack this book and use it to live a better life. Now here, we want to call things, people to things even better than that, right? We don't want you to have just a good life here. We want to set you up for eternity, and that's the real point of the Bible. But it shouldn't be lost on us that his ways are good, and anyone who comes wanting to learn how to live a good life can do that. They can do that because the Lord's hand is generous, and he keeps his promises, even to outsiders, even to those who don't have full and complete faith in Jesus Christ. So that's our second point. The Lord keeps his promises. They are good even to outsiders when he makes those promises to outsiders. Third point this morning. What do we learn here about how God's heart is toward those outside his church? Finally, he hears their cries. When they are oppressed and cry out to him, he hears that. He's not deaf to it. We see this more in the second half of the story, which I haven't walked you through yet. Uh, Where we left off, Abraham had sent Hagar and Ishmael away, right? And in verse 15, they run out of water out in the wilderness. Uh, The wilderness there is small. She should have been made it across, but they wandered out there instead, and they ran out of water. And so Hagar leaves the boy under a bush, We don't know how old he is, but he's probably around 10, 12 or so. Uh, Leaves him there under a bush in the shade of it and walks about a bow shot away and turns away from him so she can neither hear nor see him because she doesn't want to look upon her son as he dies. The Lord appears to her and says, oh, don't be afraid. I've heard the boy's cry. And then he's going to be with him. He's going to be a great nation. So he opens up Hagar's eyes to see a well of water off in the distance. She goes and fills up the skin of water, takes it to him, gives him a drink. And from there, the Lord is with him, not only growing and becoming strong and become a mighty warrior and hunter with bow in the wilderness, but even becoming a great nation down the road. And to top it all off, Hagar, who was once a slave in Egypt goes back to Egypt, a free woman, to find a wife for her son, who is also free. So this whole thing ends up really well for both Hagar and for Ishmael. Why is that? Well, because of his name, which means the Lord hears, because the Lord heard his cries, the Lord heard her cries, and took care of them, even when none of the other people in the story were particularly looking out for them. This tells us something of God's heart toward those who aren't part of his church. When they are oppressed and cry out to him, he hears their cries. His ears are very open to that. We see this develop later in the scriptures. In Exodus 22, uh, Abraham's descendants do indeed become a nation, and God gives them their law, and he tells them, you guys are my people, but when travelers and sojourners come through your land, right, this is outsiders, when they come through your land, do not oppress them, don't mistreat them, because... If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will hear their cries, right? So, so don't you do that. So he's reiterating again, you better not mistreat them because I hear their cries too when they get mistreated. The Psalms say that the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. Uh, the book of James tells us that the, the, those laborers who were not being paid their wages and were being cheated by their managers, he says their, their cries have reached the ears of the Lord most high, right? Whether you are in or out of the people of God, if you are oppressed and you cry out, the Lord hears those cries. That means a few p- things for the people of God. 
First, it means we better not be the ones who are mistreating people, right? The Lord will heal cries even against us if we mistreat others. But it also reminds us, as the Proverbs tell us, the one who closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. When it says the cry of the poor like this, it means less the cry of, I don't have enough money, more the cry of, Ah, I would have enough money if my boss had just paid me like he said he would, right? The cry of, I have been cheated and wronged and therefore I cannot obtain the things that I need. Those sort of cries of the oppressed, the Lord hears them and he tells us that we must hear them as well. That means something very important for the church today. Uh, I think many of you are aware that there are many lies that are circulating the world today under the veil of the word justice, right? You can find lies on the far left or on the far right that are quote-unquote justice ideologies, right? And I know that we are on guard against those. But here's another guard that we can't let our skepticism toward those ideas and the fact that many of those ideas are very wrong and are not good for people We cannot let that close our ears to the cries of those who are truly oppressed. When we see oppression in the world, when people cry out under the yoke of oppressors, the church must be the first ones to respond. Uh, That means that when we hear credible reports of sexual abuse, the church should be the first one to respond to that. Uh, That means that when we hear reports of a bank denying loans to black people to keep them out of a certain neighborhood, uh, we should respond to that. If they cry out and we don't hear their cries, well, one day there will come a day when we cry out and we are not answered. Uh, That means there are so many good career fields that some Christians are called to. Uh, Did you know that some Christians go to law school and they study law, not so they can get rich like lawyers often do, but so that they can work for free for those who can't afford a lawyer, right? Uh, A lot of people know that guy's so poor I can mistreat him and he can't afford a lawyer to go after me and they just work the poor like that. Yet there are some Christians who come in and say, I'll represent you for free and I'll make sure this doesn't happen to you. May the Lord bless our children and make them some of those godly lawyers who do things like that. May we hear the cry of the poor when they are oppressed and may we come to their aid. These ways and many others, the Lord may do this through us. But the point is, the Lord hears the cries of outsiders when they're oppressed. We must hear their cries as well, even if it's really hard to filter that through all the lies we are hearing from both the left and the right. Let's be faithful to hear those cries. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not one of God's people, I hope that the Lord has warmed your heart this morning. I hope he's shown you that no matter what your feelings are about him, his hand toward you is, is open with generosity. His hand toward you is warm. Uh, that he has promises toward you that he will keep. And even that if you are oppressed and cry out to him, even if no one else cries out, he hears your cries. Uh, the simple message to anyone outside the people of God this morning is that the Lord God loves you. and His hand is open toward you with even one more promise that I want to leave you with this morning. That promise is that if you would come to Jesus Christ, if you would see that he is warm and generous towards you, if you would come to him and say, I will even trust this Jesus to be all that he says he is, to even earn forgiveness for my sins, if you would trust him in that way, you would find the greatest promise of 
all coming true for you. You would find full forgiveness for your sins. You would find full reconciliation in your relationship with this God. And you would find him as Father in heaven saying, there is one of my people and my eye is even more upon him or upon her. I pray that would be true of you and I call you place your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's close this morning in prayer and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper.